Hello, welcome to this, the second episode of the newest season, or the current season, of One Week at a Time, a Box Hill Hawks podcast. My name is Sean Peter Budge, and we're joined today by a very, very special guest, Cam Howard. House, hello. Shawnee, how you doing, mate? How uh, quickly did we tee this up, just for the listeners listening in? Um, approximately hour and a half, maybe, the length of training. You, you walked, just basically you, you... ambushed me on the way in, <laughs> um, and said, just the man I'm looking for, which is always a slight concern when Shawnee does that to you, but... No, happy to be involved. I'd come up with the thing of having a chat to you for a number of reasons. You're playing situation with us however many years ago. You've obviously found your way back to the club as a coach. Um, so you've experienced Box Hill in two pretty distinct eras, but obviously have a connection with the club. And just to pick your brains on a few other things, playing at the top level, uh, we'll cover all those off as we go along. Um, but before we get into things, a big shout out to Budget Car and Truck Rental. Uh, Paul and Matt Wilton, fantastic supporters of the football club and have been for a very, very long time. Um, I'll put the discount code in the show notes so for anyone looking to or needing to do a move and needing budget services um, they'll offer you a discount if you quote this code so sort you'll be able to see that that'll be in the in description uh, but a big big shout out to them as we always say fantastic supporters of the footy club so we'll start house with your i suppose overview and the box hill stuff a former box hill hawk um, tell us how you came to arrive at the footy club you know was it a situation you know undrafted at the time what are your re- recollections of that period? Um, yeah, so I came to the club um, in 2004. So I'd played under-18s 2003. And who was that with? Uh, so that was with Oakley Chargers. Yep. But I only played, I think I played four or five games from memory. Um, and they basically said thanks but no thanks, sort of the middle part of the year. And I ended up um, going back to Old Kerry and, and, and playing a year with some friends there, which was which was great. And then um, at the end of that year, just thought, okay, what do I want to do with my football? And I still thought I had a fair bit to offer. I was a very, very skinny, underdeveloped 17-year-old turning 18-year-old at that stage. Um, And I thought I would probably regret if I didn't sort of try another avenue. Um, And if you ask mum, I'm pretty sure she, her recollection is that she told me to give the Box Hill Hawks a call. But why would that have been? Do you have um, any idea of what what was her... Rationale, or what was leaning you that way? Um, I, I guess being a lifelong Hawks supporter um, was probably one thing, and obviously the VFL was was a next step. They had the development league back then, and um, a lot of guys that didn't get drafted or perhaps weren't ready to get drafted at, at that age sort of went that path. Um, and yeah, so I put in a phone call just to the the offices here, Box Hill, and um, ended up coming down and doing a preseason originally under Tom Liberatore who got a job at Carlton sort of midway through the summer and in came Andy Collins. You would be – it's a beautiful segue. You would be one of thousands of footballers across Australia with a great Andy Collins story, surely. Is there anything about working under Colo that comes to mind offhand? Um, I guess first and foremost, he's the best coach I've ever had, without a doubt. Um, He used to call everyone kiddo – Back in the day, he talked to Heidi about that, but he was very nurturing, but he was also, he was pretty tough um, and, he, you know, he drive some pretty tough and hard standards, um, but he also nurtured us, you know. So I think my main colo story, well, there's a, there's a few of them. Um, firstly, I can't believe how much he's mellowed now coming back uh, in contact with him over the last sort of 18 months. I can't believe he's a completely different person and the guys now just don't understand the old colo. Um, but certainly when I played under him, he, he drove me hard, 
but he, he did that because I knew or he knew or he, I had it in me and he believed in me. Um, but I think it might have been in my first game. I actually kicked the ball the wrong way um, from a centre clearance. Thought I was doing the right thing, bursting out of the middle, bounce, kicked it to the opposition full forward who turned around and kicked a goal. And then he dragged me, sprayed me out of the coach's box down to the bench. Is this at Box Hill? No, I, I, I think we're at Sandringham from memory. Very, very shallow wings. Yes, yes, very narrow wings. And um, yeah, just basically said, don't you ever disrespect me in this football club like that again. I got dropped, of course. Had to buy did, my time in the development league again before I got another opportunity. Did you make it back on the field that day? I believe I did. I can't remember what stage of the game it was. I, it was in the second half at some stage. I wasn't having much of a day anyway. Pretty sure we won. Um, so not certainly a memorable first game, but perhaps not for all the right reasons. So you end up playing sort of 20-odd games with Box Hill and then you make the, the big move. You actually get picked up to go and play for Richmond. How did that process play out? Um, so once again, look, that comes back to Colo. So I played my two seasons here. First season majority in the development league, um, managed to play a few games and then it didn't play in the final series. But then the following year, played the majority of the season, had a couple of weeks in the twos, um, sort of form dropped off and then really had a strong second half of the year. And Colo um, got the coaching job at Coburg um, who were aligned with Richmond at the time and he asked a few of us to come across with him, which, which I had agreed to do, but part of that deal was, was doing a summer with the Richmond Football Club. So I was able to sort of get under their radar. I'm pretty sure I wasn't on it until that stage. So um, it was great to get there and, and train for three or four months up until the rookie draft and I was fortunate enough that they, they plucked me. So you're 21 at this stage? 20 turning 21. Yeah, so in terms of your apprenticeship, if you will, at Box Hill, how crucial was that to preparing you then to go into Richmond and feel confident as though I can, I can train at the level and I can really put myself in the mix? Oh, look, it was massive. I'd always thought or hoped and dreamed like, you know, most young kids do to get there. Whether I truly believed it, particularly after that sort of under-18s year, I'm not sure I did, but... Um, because of how Colo developed me and, and drove standards and, you know, drove me to be better, I, I did learn how to train properly and use my assets and my running ability. That absolutely helped me in good stead, um, firstly over the summer, but then over my time there, um, which, you know, didn't work out as I'd hoped, but I still managed to, to get to the level, which I'm very proud of. You should be. You played 21 games for Richmond. You were there for the three seasons. What are your overall memories from your time at, at the Richmond Footy Club? Um, oh, look, I loved every bit of it. You know, prior to getting drafted, I, I was working for an electrical wholesaler, teed up through Alan Martello, who was a former Hawthorne player and, and a mate of Andy Collins. And I was just sort of, you know, working and coming to training and enjoying being a young 20-year-old. But then to have that turn into your full-time job um, was absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, as, as I said, you know, very, very fortunate to have that opportunity because there are lots of people that, you know, perhaps don't get it and perhaps deserve it more than I did. But, um, look, I loved my time there. I, I wish it was a little bit longer. Um, but to have played some AFL footy was, yeah, amazing at the time. And, and certainly the more I reflect on it as I get older, I'm very proud of it. I've got to ask, got to take a step back, how would you rate your electrical, electrical wholesaling? Um, so I originally started sort of in the front and, and selling a little mm. bit of sales. Um, and I ended up in the warehouse. So I think that probably shows 
firstly how much I was actually putting in. <laughs> um, my knowledge of electrical equipment didn't increase over the, I think it was about eight, ten months I was there. Um, it was just a paycheck. Yeah, hey, that's fine. <laughs> um, so you debuted in round 18 of tw- uh, 2006 against the Dogs. Can you by chance remember what happened the week before and what might have opened the door for you to debut? Um, was it someone getting injured? I think it was, was it someone going down with a knee? Not well, not qu- sort of not quite. So you, you debut, as I said, round 18. Round 17, the Tigers, who actually had an 11-11 season, I'm not poking, poking fun at the Tigers, they finished ninth at an 11-11 a year. The Saints did them by 103 points. And I wonder how much of that was to give the kid an opportunity. We've just got done by 100 points. They got done a couple times by 100 points that year, the, the little notes show me. And my, my first thought there was, not being selfish, but as a younger player, as a guy waiting to debut, we get to round 17, round 18, do you watch a performance like that and think, this could be a chance? Like I could be a sniff here. Yeah, I, I can't exactly remember. I'm pretty sure I was playing some reasonable footy. I, I was definitely getting closer. And how the rookie system worked back then was you could only play when a player got put on the long-term injury list. So I think from memory, Mark Coughlin had gone down. It mightn't have been that round before, but it was certainly... Was that the, um, the knee? Yeah, one of his knees. I can't exactly remember. Um, but he went down, say, round 13 or 14. So there was a spot available for rookies. And there, I think there was three of us at the time. Um, and, yeah, a team coming off a 103-point loss, they're clearly going to need to make some changes. So um, I was obviously getting a kick at Coburg at the time and... What do you recall about your debut, you know, the build-up and the day itself and any involvements you might have had? Is there something that's sort of quite vivid in the mind? Um, oh, just the overall excitement. I remember finding out on the Wednesday night, I was out for dinner with a couple of the players at the time um, and I got the phone call and they sort of, you know, sort of knew who the phone call was and I took it outside and I came back in and, you know, they all looked at me with smiles. So there was a little bit of a sort of celebration then. Um, but the actual game itself, uh, I don't recall too much. Uh, we got done, I think it was about 30 or 40 points. The dog sort of had us covered for most of the day. But I got on early, I got a handball not too long after I came on to sort of calm the nerves a little bit. But um, I think I got better as the day went on, started to find my feet a little bit more um, and was you know reasonably happy with the way I went, game well, number one. Well, your stat line, you had 22 and you've buried the lead, you kicked a goal. I did, yes. If you go on YouTube, it's one of the very few Cam Howitt highlight videos, but it is on there. It is yes. there? It is there. I like how, how quaint and, and still, you know, it's 2006, but, you know, it's not so long ago, but it's it's long enough ago for there still to be these tenants of the way football used to be and that you find out via a phone call on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, every day, boo, it's fantastic. They're celebrated and... They make sure they're captured and it's shared and it's this big experience. But that's sort of long enough ago but recently enough yep. that that's the way it was still done. Yeah, and that was just the norm back then. Um, like they had my family in. I remember mum and dad were in there when my jumper was presented and, you know, my brother and sister, you know, were at the game as well and my brother begrudgingly wearing some Tigers gear for the day. But, um, no, it was a great experience, amazing experience. So in the end um, – You've impressed enough. You played the final five games of that year. What did you or what were you able to take out of that going into 2007? Um, look, just the confidence that I could do it, to be honest. Um, you just never really know. 
I probably, out of those five games at the back end of 06, there's probably two or three where I played quite well and a couple of others where I was all right. We won three out of the five, I believe, and I'm pretty sure I didn't play in too many other wins, unfortunately, for the Tigers, both in 07 um, and 08. We we weren't on the winner's board too often, unfortunately. But I think just the confidence that I could actually do it and leading into that sort of pre-season, you know, the coach is really driving me to try and become a, a permanent fixture of the side. So you mentioned 07. So 06 was 11-11, like we said, finished ninth. 07, just the three wins for the year. But as much of a struggle as it is for the team, for you it's, pro- it's personally probably quite a good year. You play 15 games, a lot of senior football. H- how did that all come together for you? Did you feel as though at that stage sort of, you know, how do you make sense of, I'm sort of going okay, geez, we're, we're struggling, the team's struggling, I'm just a young player, what does that all add up to? Mm. I guess thinking back on it, you do, the struggles of the team really do weigh heavily on you when you're not locked in the side, you know, we had lots of really quality senior footballers then, like, you know, Joel Bowden and Matthew Richardson and Kane Johnson and these guys that were really senior, really good quality footballers. Um, but from my perspective, it was, okay, we're losing, but also how did I perform? It wasn't just, oh, we lost, what can we do better? The, you know, in the back of my mind is like, all right, I've got to keep doing my role and doing my job here. Did do you ever – and this is natural, this isn't a criticism – do you ever sort of get into a self-preservation mode a little bit as well? You know, particularly um, as that you sort of mentioned as a guy who's not guaranteed a game next week, geez, things aren't going so well for us, I've just got to, I've got to get out of this myself. I think you probably do a little bit. Um, I started off in the side and then, you know, the, the losses started mounting up and I spent a few weeks in the twos and then I had a good patch in the middle part of the year where I played probably my best AFL games um, and I started to feel more confident and, and it seems silly these days but things like starting on the ground and, you know, being a bit more involved in the planning as opposed to just being someone coming off the interchange bench because back then as an interchange player, um, you're playing... game time, 60% game time, maybe. You're definitely the next. You're the 19th up. You're not like just part of the 22 or the 23. Um, So I found in those games in the middle part of the season, I was, you know, starting on the ground and getting involved early and and genuinely getting more game time um, and being more important to our side structure. So that's probably when I I felt like I was doing okay and then um, lost my spot again and came back in again. So probably the from around 15, 16 onwards, it, it did get a little bit frustrating. Um, they turned to a little bit more youth, which is strange to think, given I was 22 or something like that. that it's was, turned into Logan's run. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, and that, that year did sort of peter out a little bit. And as you say, only three wins for the year as a football club. It's a pretty disappointing one. And then weirdly, this is strange. I was sort of reading through it and I was cobbling the notes together. So you play the 15 games, the footy club doesn't have a great year, but you've been selected 15 times. You get delisted and re-rookied and just sort of fascinated as to how that process plays itself out. Mm. Is it just a case of, look, you're out of contract, what does it look like? Yeah, so I could only be on a rookie list for two years um, and the club guaranteed that they would pick me up again. Um, I obviously would have loved to have been promoted, you know, playing 15 games. Um, they actually promoted a, a younger Ruckman who hadn't played at that stage to put him on the senior list. Their, I guess, reasoning for that was they felt that I wasn't going to get taken by someone else being delisted and still being there and available, which, which obviously uh, came true. But 
I was definitely disappointed. I, I felt like um, maybe if those contract talks had opened up in the middle part of the year, I might have been more inclined to have got one. But as the year went on and, and my form tailed off a little bit, I could sort of see that that's the way they were going. Um, and, yeah, I guess it was, you know, not take it or leave it, but the fact that there was a list spot there for me, albeit just another rookie spot. You were probably a bit unlucky that the rookie list was a little bit more rigid then with what you could and couldn't do and how it was structured than it is now. Now it's a bit fast and loose and you can – people still do things like that, but mm. it's not as um, yeah, rigid as we say. So at the end of that year, change really sweeps through. Punt road, doesn't it? Terry Wallace is gone. Damien Hardwick comes in. No, he doesn't. Have I got, have I got one year too soon? One year too soon. I have, so haven't I? He goes in nine. He, yeah, he left midway through. Eight. Own, no, oh nine. So I finished at the end of 08. Yeah. And then sort of the writing was on the wall a little bit and he ended up leaving sort of midway of 09. 09. And then they had the um, caretaker, which was Jade Rawlings from memory. Yes. And then Dimmick Yes, you're 100% right. After that. Um, you would know better than me, clearly. Um, so you, you end up playing what is your final AFL game in round one of 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, that's notable for a few reasons. Do you know – can you – off the top of your head? Um. Um, yes, I, I can. I'm there's just... one that you're thinking of and there's one that's a bit more off. The, it's just a quirky little footnote in history, I suppose. What, what's the footnote in history? So it was a big, big game. Carlton Richmond's always a big game, but this mm-hmm. particular game carried an extra bit of expectation and weight. Being the first game, the round one, the Thursday night? It was. Yep. But uh, it was Chris Judd's first game for Carlton. There you go. And it carried a fairly – the buzz around town. Yeah, absolutely. It was absolutely. this big, significant – Matchup, mm-hmm. obviously. Well, I think what you're referring to, and I couldn't believe it. Yes, you were suspended. I was, and anyone who knows you would go, "What's he done? What?" Mm. And it was a quirky, and it was fu- like not funny, but I, being a Carlton fan, but I remember, I remember the Adam Hartlett side of it. Mm-hmm. So you ended up. Was it? Did you get your challenge at the tribunal? Yeah. So what were you initially given? So I was given two weeks. We were both given two, two. weeks. Yeah. And then so you challenged, unfortunately, cop yes. a third. Yes. So can you take us through, again, as a fascinating sort of tribunal, how does that all work out in terms of... Yeah, look, that was a, a pretty stressful time, yeah. as you can imagine. Absolutely. You know, you, you, you train all summer and you build up to round one and, you know, I was uh, once again came off the rookie list for an injury. Um, it might have even been Mark Coughlin again. He'd unfortunately done another knee, so I owe him a bit. Um, but... Yeah, look, there was a couple of different incidents throughout the game um, and we were sort of at each other a little bit. Um, and, yeah, look, the upshot is, you know, on, on the Monday morning we get sort of the the email comes through that it's a couple of weeks for each of us. Because um, it was a little bit behind the ball. It was off the yeah, play, wasn't it? it, it was. There, there were separate incidents. Um, and then he was, squared up. Yeah, yeah. So he sort of clipped me in the middle of the ground I think it was after half time, um, but we'd had a little bit of a, a scuffle before that. Maybe I'm saying late in the first quarter, maybe sometime in the second quarter. Um, and they were both sort of captured on video. Um, and look, I challenged it in order to get it downgraded. Um, uh, I think I challenged yeah, the grading of intentional to careless or intentional to reckless. Um, I wasn't actually looking at him at the time. Um, so we thought we had a good argument and, yeah, the, that was a very different week because you're meeting with lawyers and, and things like that to p- sort of put your case together and um, then you go up 
in front of the tribunal and there's cameras everywhere and, you know, I'm this kid who's played 20 games and just sort of fighting for my career, really. Um, unfortunately, it was upheld and then because we appealed, the risk was the, the two went to three and um, I got the three. And then for you internally, you know, obviously the year starts off on a bit of a down note, which is a, a terrible shame. And then how did the rest of the season sort of plan, pan out for you? You obviously served the three weeks, come back through the twos, I imagine, and then unfortunately didn't get another look in. No. So look, that was, that was a really, really difficult year because I did feel hard done by to get the three. Um, well, to get the two originally, I felt hard done by it. And then, as you say, sat out for three weeks, came back through Coburg. I think it must have been in my second or third game back for Coburg. I did a calf and then I'm missing three, four weeks with the calf. And then I came back and, and played some pretty good footy um, and actually remember going into the coach's office and just saying, look, look what do I have to do? Is I've, that difficult? I, like, I find it fascinating. Is that a difficult – because people sometimes take for granted, particularly – if they've been watching football, football for a very long time, it's funny that football fans, you, you keep getting older, but the players stay the same age. Mm. You know, young players who are fighting for their careers or, or wanting some clarity on the direction. I mean, everyone who listens to this, who follows a team, whether it's Hawthorne or Carlton or Collingwood or whoever it is, would be able to recall a player who they think should have got more opportunity. Mm. And it's not just as simple as going, you're a 20-year-old kid or a 22-year-old kid, just go and ask the coach. Yeah. There is that power relationship and imbalance where the maturity of the player is often you're 22 years old mm. or whatever the case may be how difficult are those conversations to initiate and sort of actually feel like what do I want to say what do I want to get out of this yep oh look unbelievably difficult I'm pretty sure it took me a few weeks to be able to you know muster up the courage to do it but it got to the stage where if I don't say anything my, my, my career's done every way you look at it so what have I got to lose and yeah, look, I went in and sort of put my case forward, which was a strange thing to do on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, whenever it was, and um, I felt like I was heard to a certain degree, um, but the decision had already been made. You know, I felt like my um, my time there was coming to an end and it didn't really matter what kind of form I was putting forward at Coburg, um, and I was sort of told that they were, they were going in a bit of a different direction. So I basically just played out the year and, and knew, knew what was coming. Um, I think most guys do in an exit meeting. It's either going to be really great news or, or the opposite. Um, and they were good enough to let me continue to train um, up until the draft, sort of hoping that there may be some interest elsewhere. Um, so I continued to train, I think, for a month, maybe six weeks up until the national draft. And then when obviously I didn't go anywhere else and, and, that, and they didn't take me, um, I um, cleaned out my locker after that. It's such a – yeah, like it's the – it's comfortably the worst part of the year at a footy club. You ride the roller coaster of the year and the ups and downs of the wins and losses week to week and there is always, um, even at VFL level, a, a level of churn where you know great members of the footy club, much-loved members of the club, move on for one reason or another. Yep. Um, and it is, it is so tough. I remember, um, I won't name names, but in a previous life working in a football club and, and someone remarked, they said, you know, I've been doing the job for a long time in coaching and egos, and this is the worst part of the job. Um, everyone dreads it. You know, it's never easy. It's never you never enjoy it. Um, he goes, I wish to like to, I'd like to say it gets easier. He goes, it doesn't. And and you see guys that, you know, we've got a number of boys here who've played AFL footy and unfortunately been told that we're not going with you. And I could mm. could only imagine, you know, just the um, uh, 
as, as however telegraphed it is, how disappointing it would be. But I suppose flipping that on its head a little bit, you've had the experience three years on the list, you've played 20 games. When you look back on it, what is the best thing about being an AFL footballer? Um, oh, the best thing without a doubt is it's your day-to-day job. You know, you get to do it for a living. Um, you get to come in and try and improve and and get better individually but also as a team and, and everyone who's been involved in a footy club knows that it's the relationships that you build. Um, and, look, I look back with amazingly fond memories and definitely the older I've got, the more I appreciate um, the time that I spent there. I've still got a few mates that I... That I see, not as regularly as I would have liked, but definitely kept in contact. You know um, who you are. Reach out to House if you're yes. listening to this. Can I name drop? Yes. Kelmore, haven't heard from you in a while, so <laughs> looking forward to a call from you. Um, very fortunate that I do get to touch base with Newey, Chris yes. Newman, regularly having here, and um, the other one would be Brett Delidio. So I'm pretty sure you've still got my number, mate, so <laughs> I'm here anytime you're ready. What, what would be, if you had you know, one piece of advice um, to a young kid, whether it be in your situation, having gone undrafted initially and coming through a non-traditional pathway, you know, you'd be exposed to a number of kids like that here at Box Hill, or just generally going into an AFL system, what would be your first piece of advice? Um, look, just continue to put yourself out there. Continue to, you know, if you feel like this is something you really want to do um, and you feel like you are good enough, don't let anyone stand in your way, you know. Um, not getting drafted can be really difficult and can knock you about, but there's more than one pathway to get there. There's plenty of pathways to get there. So, um, yeah, if you feel like you have the talent and you have the drive, then you know don't let anyone stand in your way. Just continue to fight for it and, until perhaps it's it's not your priority anymore. There's that great line in Moneyball where he's trying to sell um, Hatterberg on playing first base and his first base coach says, yeah, it's, in, you know, it's incredibly hard. And Billy Bean fires back. Well, anything worth doing is. True. So you sort of go, that's that's correct. Yeah. Um, I suppose just closing the AFL stuff. I'm always fascinated with this question. That's why I ask it. Was there ever a moment, whether it be a teammate or or an opposition player, probably less so teammates? You mentioned some of the great Richmond players of that era that you played with and you were exposed to regularly. Was there ever a player you shared the field with and was sort of, I don't know if going in being in war is too far, but you just went, whoa. Mm. Jesus, guys, um, something else. Oh, look, from Richmond, it was Richo. He was actually unbelievable. You know, looking at him from afar, you just think he's this super talented, but I don't know, maybe Enigmatic. a bit of a hot-headed yeah. nutter at times, you know, some of the things he's done. But he is honestly an incredible person and um, an unbelievable footballer, an, an unbelievable footballer. So definitely for me at, at Richmond, it was Richo. Um, but then growing up, a Hawthorne supporter and a diehard Hawthorne supporter. Um, when I, I played one game against the Hawks at the G and that they touched us up pretty easily, but Shane Crawford was out there mm. and he would have been up there with, you know, if not my number one football idol growing up, very, very close to it. Was that surreal? It was. It was definitely surreal. Um, yeah, very surreal. <laughs> Mum's actually got a photo. I don't know whether she took it or it was an actual proper one of me tackling Shane Crawford and I've got him right around the neck. He was given a free kick too, but she loves it because it's me playing on the MCG with someone who she knows. Crudely tackling. To, yeah, crudely tackling, giving away a free kick when I, the ball had gone over the boundary. I didn't. I don't think I even really needed to do it, but I did. Um, yeah, but Crawford, unbelievable player. Unbelievable. Phen- ridiculous, phenomenal. So then after Richmond, you mentioned you were at um, Old Kerry initially, but you actually go back to Old Kerry. Mm. 
life member of the footy club. He played over 150 games. He won the competition best and fairest. What does that time or that era or that part of your footy career mean to you? Yeah, that's my most enjoyable part of my football career. Obviously, getting to the highest level was was unbelievable, but being able to go and play at a, at a really good level, Amos and and Kerry at the time, we we bounced around between the A grade and the B grade, um, but we were fortunate enough to play in a premiership. Um, I was playing with all my best friends, and you know we put in a lot. You know we we worked hard and and we had some great times off the field as well. But um, look, I, I look back at that, and as you say, like you know, life member and lots of games and um, being able to play in a premiership there with, with my best mates was, was my fondest footy memory. Do you, do you think back at it now as somewhat of a, like a palate cleanser, a little bit after the disappointment of how things finish up at AFL level and you go back and you're searching for something, you're searching to kind of enjoy footy again? You, you speak to some guys that come off lists and, and look, really understandably, some of them are a bit sour mm. on the game and on the big machine that the game is and what it's done to them or not allowed them to do, did you kind of feel like you go back to Kerry, play with your mates, you play good footy, you're really enjoying it, you're sort of going, yeah, yeah, this is what I... This is why we This play. is why I play the game. Yep. Kind of, yeah, okay. Without a doubt, the, the enjoyment side of the football had been lost a little bit. When it is your job and it's week to week and you think, hang, I'm not doing well here and you watch guys go past you on the pecking order, you know, it does weigh on you. Um, and when I left Richmond, I ummed and ahed about where to go and spoke to a few state league clubs and spoke to a few clubs in the country and Glenelg a couple of times over in South Australia. And I considered doing all of those things. Um, but I ultimately decided to go back to Kerry because it was with my mates and I felt that was where I was going to get the most enjoyment out of my, out of my footy. And it was a great decision. I suppose, was it simply the mates? I mean, the follow-up question I have here to that was... I have so much admiration and, and we've got a few boys at the moment who, you know, Damo's one, David Mirror was one when I first got to the footy club. We've got a group of reports, Beza, Ed Phillips, etc. That drive to come back year after year after year when you could go play at another club, could go play at a lower level, could whatever the options are, mm. was it simply the mates element that kept you going back to old Kerry year after year after year? Yeah, it was. It was. And not only the mates that I went there for, but then the next group of mates that I made when I got there. Um, you know, I have a really strong... Shout them out. Come on. Jeez, uh, there's <laughs> a lots of them. But I guess, the, look, the original ones, um, Tommy, Xander, Albie, and then I got there and I became mates with, you know, Reedy, Bram, Gordo, Muzz, You could be making all, these, you could be making all these names I'm up. I'm not. I promise you I'm not. And look, there's going to be heaps that I miss. Um, Fossil. Viz. <laughs> These are real people. Puffy, no, nah, they're all, they're all genuine, crazy, crazy. Uh, they're all all please ripping tell me blokes. That, please tell me that crazy was actually just a really calm, boring guy. Um, it was an ironic nickname. He, he got it from he had a couple of older brothers, and I think it may have been ironic. They used to call him Runt because he was the skinniest, but he was six six and big, so that might have been the ironic nickname. But look, it's you know. Amazing to consider and think about all those guys now because majority of them I have not seen for such a long period of They've time. They've all still got your number? Yeah, they all still roll for off the fairness, tongue. You've got theirs as well? Yep, that is true. That is true. <laughs> We're probably due for a reunion at some stage. When, when was the flag? So the flag was uh, 2010. So my second year. Okay, yeah, um, you're closer to the 15-year reunion than you yep. are the, the 10. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we the, the club's really good and they put on Legends Days and things like that and I – 
absolutely get back when I can and it's, you know, we've got better and better yep. every reunion. That's how it works. Yep. That's how it works. So then after that you go into coaching and, and you, you pursue that pathway and I suppose the the leading question there, and I, I like asking this of all the guys that we chat to in your boat, but what is it you love most about coaching? What is it that kind of drew you to do it? And then as a follow-up, is there a moment or a mentor that's quite like crystallised in your mind as I'd like to give that a go? Mm. Um, Look, I always thought about coaching, particularly at my back end of my playing career. Um, You know, school teacher, I felt like it fitted my personality really well. Um, After I finished playing, I was a little bit burnt out with footy as a whole and I took a couple of years of not playing and not going to training and not being involved directly in a footy club. But... I definitely got the itch back and I actually applied for a couple of coaching jobs at Melbourne Grammar um, in the as the first 18 coach, which I, I missed out on, but I made a few connections with guys there and we stayed in touch and that led me to, to going down to the Footscray VFL program. Um, basically just was the runner down there and, so what and year got involved. This? So that was um, in, so what, what year are you now? That would be 21. All right, so I went there. So the year before I came here, so it's my second year here. So yeah, 21 and I just literally was was basically a volunteer but um, it got me sort of exposed back to footy again and, you know, the old being in the locker room and forming those relationships and things like that and I, I loved it. Um, and I uh, agreed to sort of go around again. I'd spoke to them about my want to sort of progress and have a few more responsibilities but their sort of line coaches and everything were full and I said yep all right I'll continue in the role that I was doing um and then out of the blue I got a call from Andy Collins who I would think you were getting sprayed or I I couldn't believe it when I looked still at angry it. about that kick out at Sandy <laughs> first, going, what well, first of all I couldn't believe I, I still had his number like it popped up and I had not thought about Collar or spoken to him and it was it was well over 10 years probably closer to 15 years that I hadn't spoken to him um so I took the phone call and you know we had a chat and he mentioned that he was back involved at Box Hill which which I which I did know about um and they had a coaching vacancy and he'd spoken to someone through Footscray at the Dogs and my name had popped up and he said yep I know that guy so I'll give him a call and yeah I was able to um yeah have a few interviews with with the coach at the time and uh, and and Naps who the you know Everyone loves so much here mm. and um, was able Shout to secure to the, the position. Yeah, we miss you, Naps. We do miss you. You do have our numbers. We have yours as well. <laughs> While we're potting blokes for not, not staying in contact. But he's very busy. I, I appreciate his business. Um, it, and I suppose, was it was Collo the coach or was there that coaching figure in your footy journey that really lit the fire under you or that you were inspired by to kind of emulate maybe? Um, geez, I've never really thought about who my sort of coaching inspiration is um yeah look I definitely feel like you take a piece of every coach you play under um we had some fantastic coaches at at Kerry um and they put in so much time and effort um and like I I I felt that I had a lot to offer in the coaching space and I felt like the time was right to to jump into it um and as I said getting that call from Colo and, and being offered the job here at Box Hill and coming full circle, particularly with him taking the job as the uh, head of development at Hawthorne, it just sort of felt right. So I suppose this is more a curiosity on my part. I always find it fascinating with our coaches here at Box Hill who do such a wonderful job, but what are the challenges? Or Because it's, it's a unique situation, the alignment, in that we turn up to training tonight. We're recording after Thursday night training and you've been out on the track with the boys. We don't have a game this week, but when we do, 
forwards coach, but you're, you're coaching a group of players that you're actually not having day-to-day contact with yep. and main sessions not working with as such. Um, and the, the guys at Hawthorne, obviously, great symmetry between the two programs. But that is a unique sort of challenge, isn't it? It is, absolutely. You know, because we had the forwards group I had out on the track tonight. There was only uh, one who represented the Box Hill Hawks on the weekend um, and another one sort of just doing a little bit of rehab from, from the weekend. So it is it is a unique challenge. Um, and, and I do feel for these guys that don't play with us every week and are going back to local because they're not under our nose. And that's know? the flip. That's the other side of it, isn't it? Yeah. And I mentioned the, the, the development league early. You know, I, I never would have progressed as far as I did without the development league. And I do think it's a real shame um, because I was able to play before Box Hill every week and be seen by the coaches. And, you know, as opposed to getting reports from local coaches that this guy's playing well or this guy's doing this and that. But without say, being yes. able to see it with your own eyes, it's quite difficult. It. I've said it before. I don't know who we were talking to. I think it might have been David Mirror. Mm. And I said to him, one of the great shames for the medium to long-term health of football in Victoria, particularly being under the VFL banner, was the dissolution of the, the Development League. I understand there's a cost factor about everything, but the worst, the worst thing that could come about a Development League is when players maybe don't make the grade at VFL level or they don't step up to AFL level beyond that, you bleed back into the local and community system a much, much better player, mm. more rounded, more capable, more intelligent player with exposure to greater concepts and more, you know, greater coaching, et cetera. And that just helps the health of football in the state. Without doubt. And without it here anymore, we don't want to name names, but we've got a lot of young boys who would, you know, hopefully will in time make the grade at VFL level and hopefully in time go further than that. Mm. But all of that, that whole process is fast-tracked or was fast-tracked with a development league. Look, I couldn't agree more, and it is a shame. And um, unfortunately, the fact that it does come down to you know the financial element um, is really difficult. And as I said, I feel for these guys because I get to you know work with them for a few hours a couple of times a week, and I feel like you know my role is to continue to develop them. Um, but they only have these few hours each week to almost impress us on the track to be like, oh, look, they're learning or they're implementing, you know, X, Y, and Z that we've been trying to coach them. Um, but then I don't get to see them implemented on game day, which is really difficult. The power of being able to actually coach them, even if they're not playing in the senior team on a game day, is enormous for you and the, the coaching group to be watching and observing. And the development team obviously had its own coaching group. Yep. But at the same time, being able to actually see it with your own eyes, communicate mm-hmm. on the day, on the spot. is yeah. I mean, look, it, it is a shame, but um, at Box Hill, I think we've got a really, um, particularly when the development league ended, a very proud history of players coming through that program getting VFL opportunity, a number of them went on to play AFL football, mm-hmm. which is just outstanding and exactly what it was there to do. Um, I mean, look, changing lanes a little bit, there's no easy way to sort of segue into this, but people outside of the footy club would not have an understanding of and be unaware of how emotionally challenging last year was for us internally and your challenges were central to that. And, look, I really appreciate, obviously, you. Um, we spoke about this off the pod prior, but... Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and the challenges you faced last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, um, it was a very difficult year. I, um, it was, funnily enough, it's 12 months to the day today that I had uh, my surgery. Um, and this was unfortunately to remove a tumour that was, was found in, in, the, in the back of my mouth. Um, 
I was very fortunate that it was just a routine uh, visit to the dentist. Um, my partner was basically badgering me to go to the dentist because I hadn't been for quite some time. Um, and yeah, I hadn't been in the chair very long at all. And they were just sort of, you know, having a poke and prod around as they, as they do. And, um, she sort of stopped and, and came around the front and just said, Oh, I want to ask you a few questions about that lump and how long has it been there? And look, I thought it was an ulcer. Um, and I said, Oh, look, don't worry about, you know, that doesn't bother me. It never hurts or anything like that. She's like, Oh, I just think we should keep an eye on it. And she took a couple of images and, and what have you. Um, and then she said, I just want to refer you on to an oral mouth specialist, which, which she did. Um, and then I did start to worry when I, I sort of got CC'd on an email that I shouldn't have been CC'd on. Um, and they sort of outlined their potential diagnosis of what it, what it could be. So then I was like, oh, okay, all right, that, you know, there's a bit more to this um, and they, you know, took a biopsy and I found out, you know, about a fortnight later that it was um, a tumour, it was active, it was growing and it, it needs to almost come out immediately. In one of my overriding memories, we played a practice game against Richmond and the week after that you obviously addressed the group and mm -hmm. uh, we were out at Waverley mm -hmm. and, and I immediately thought, so you had this information which is – really distressing information, obviously keeping it to yourself for the time being and sharing with family and close friends and the like. But I was like, we spoke to you after the Richmond game, mm. if you remember. I do remember, yep. And I remember thinking that was the first place I went to was we, we spoke to House two days ago and he was he was fine. Mm. Like from all, from all intents and purposes, it was like, oh, wow, it was a bit of a sledgehammer for the group. Yep. And I could only imagine for you and your family and I got the note here that, You've obviously got an incredibly wonderful network of friends and family, mm -hmm. but how important or how 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 great was the support you got from a football club, and not just this football club? Football clubs are great in this regard. How important was that for you during that time? Oh, look, it was massive. Um, I think at that stage, I spoke to to Proc, Clint Proctor, the coach, and I just sort of called him. And um, on the day I found out, um, I called him and said. I was basically calling him to say, look, I'm not going to be at training tonight and here's why. And he's like, yep, you just take how much time you need. And as you mentioned, we were playing Richmond in a pracky and he said, oh, you know, don't worry about that. And I said, no, no, I wanted to be there because I was still perfectly healthy and fine um, and I knew what was to come, so I wanted to stay involved as much as I could. Um, but, yeah, the support was absolutely incredible. You know, first and foremost, my partner Brody, you know, she sort of held me together there for a little while. Um, particularly when I needed to tell the family, that was probably one of the most challenging aspects. Um, I told my sister first and sort of, you know, galvanised her and then I went, we went over to mum and dad's and that was a very, very emotional afternoon. Um, but once I sort of laid out, here's the plan, you know, this is what's happened, you know, I sort of waited and gathered all the information before I, I told them anything. Um, and at that stage, there was the only real unknown was the size, you know, how much they were going to have to remove, you know, there were some conversations around, okay, what if we need to remove your whole jaw? What if we need to take, you know, this and that? So that was very confronting. Um, but as you, as you mentioned, the network around me with my family and friends, but then the, you know, the wider network of a footy club is just absolutely incredible. You know, guys that I'd only really known, yourself included, for three, four, maybe five months at that time were, were just amazing. You know, text messages came flooding in and you created a video for me. I remember that. I've still got that one saved. Um, 
So yeah, you sort of can't undervalue the importance of you know the connection with the football club at that time. Well, I mean, speaking from our, and I hope I speak on behalf of the footy club that were involved in that time, but we were trying to figure out earlier just how how long you were absent for, and and really absent in totality um, until you kind of made sporadic appearances here yep. and there, kind of midway through, maybe two thirds of the way through the season. Yes. But what a lift that actually gave the group because there was a level of uncertainty. Mm. You're away. We all know you're away. We all know why you're away. Yep. But there's a level of you sort of it's again without sounding, but you sort of don't want to talk about it because your inclination is she'll be right. He'll be house. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Mm. But then you're also going. I actually don't know. Yep. I actually, I, you know. So when you you when you turned up, I remember you were at training one night, and. Yeah, the buzz and the lift it gave everyone was, A, you were back and you, and you looked good and we were like, okay, all right. This is. <laughs> and then not long after that, you're actually kind of, you're really back yeah. on deck, which was just brilliant and, and we were kind of trying to figure it out. We actually got a little bit of a bounce when you, you, yeah. you looked at the fixture and it was it might have, it may, it may have nothing to do with it, may have something to do with it, but we actually had a little bit of a kick and then we went into a bye and hit the skids. Yeah, look, we won the first two after yes. my return, so maybe I'm going to claim that in some way, but... Look, I was very fortunate with the support I had from the football club and we worked out a bit of a you know a schedule and a plan for to come back and you know one night a week and then help out on game day and then that would stretch to both training nights and then resuming my role um, and look the club were absolutely outstanding so as you know Naps and Proc two guys that we've already previously mentioned in the in the podcast tonight but they were unreal and their supportive was just unwavering so no, well, look, we loved having you back and, and obviously even better to stick around because you've become a very important, much-loved member of the team. And I say that uh, not just because you're sitting in front of me um, and agreed to do this podcast on two minutes' notice. <laughs> um, we've got a question here from Zane mm-hmm. and he wants you to tell the story. I did already have this in the notes, so I did give him the thumbs up. I okay, said, Just we'll, before you yeah. go with it, mm-hmm. is it um, something to do with a, a pre-season running session? It is something yeah. to do with a pre-season running chat session. At uh, the tan, I believe it's called yes. by um, Melburnians. Yes. So I'll let you set the scene because this has become mm-hmm. there's a few there's a few facets to this story that some of it's become <laughs> a bit of folklore. Yep. It was the subject of a write up in the Age newspaper. It was a couple of time. years ago. Yes, it was. So set the scene for us. What's happening? So um, our time trial back at Richmond was a lap of the tan, um, and I was one of the the better ones back then. So we do one... You still, I mean, come on. I was winning it back then. Yes. Okay. Um, and the pre-Christmas, basically, the, almost the final thing we do was a tan time trial. And say you finish on the, you know, the 20th or the 22nd of December or something like that. And at that stage, we basically had a fortnight and we, you start back on the 3rd or 4th of Jan or something like that. You know, these, these days they don't come back to the 20th or, or something like that. It's but good, It's good living. Um, and as it was, the first session back was the tan. So, you know, you had your time pre-Christmas, you know, gone and enjoyed yourself, but hopefully, um, you know, did a bit of your own training away from the club and the first session back was, was the tan time trial and having won the one pre-Christmas, there's an expectation that you win the one post-Christmas or they question what you've been doing and whether you've been putting in the hard work. So just you've not, to, you've not given yourself much of a margin for error here, no, have you? No, you can't really blow out too much in two weeks. So you've won honest. the time trial and for you there's nowhere to go. No, only um, either improve your time or not blow out your time. Yes. And I think you, the aim was to get within, say, five seconds of your previous – You know, I'm only guessing there, but it was something like that, that everyone needed to be 
five seconds, let's say, within their time from pre-Christmas. Not stepping on the story, do continue. One of my favourites uh, of the current Box Hill crop of massaging and just managing that beautifully, managing the clock expertly, is a very strong runner in his own right, mm. Ed Phillips. Yes. Very, very good at just making sure he knows what the first time trial means. There'll be a second. <laughs> yep. There's no point beating the world record line in your first attempt. Mm-hmm. Set a good time. Yep. He knows what he needs to run. He manages that. And then when he comes back, he set himself an achievable, you know, expert, past master in the current group of doing that. But continue. Um, yep. So return post-Chrissy. And just to add an extra layer, we are racing against Craig Mottram. And Mottram's going for the tan record. So it's been sort of advertised and it was a bit of a – a joint venture between him and Richmond to try and drum up a bit of sort of attention around it. Um, so he was going for the, the tan record that day um, and racing against a group of footballers. So he was to give us a two minutes head start and um, so we would take off as a group and two minutes later he would go and he would you know try and round us all in. So uh, off we went and, you know, I'm, do, I'm doing all right and sort of, for those that know the tan, you make your way up the hill and you come around the back and you get a little bit of a reprieve coming downhill and it sort of flattens out. And as I was coming around there, I was just thinking, oh, geez, not feeling too good in the guts here. Um, maybe it was New Year's Eve something or a hangover from Christmas. I'm not 100% too sure, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and I basically had a decision to make that I either stop and manage to control my bowel movements or I continue to run and I lose complete control of them. So, so I probably... Stella. Yeah. I am denied for, I don't know, three, 400 metres and I basically just thought, look, if I pull the pin, that's going to look a lot worse than anything else that was to come. So I soldiered on, um, got through. Um, Mottram got me on sort of the last back bend and, and went past me. He was, the, you know, I was the last one that he went past um, How quickly was he moving? Oh, it was unbelievable. I remember there were guys on bikes, like his sort of coaches and support team, and they were really having to pedal to keep up with him. He was flying. And so he crossed the line, broke the record, which still stands to this day. There's been quite a few others that have had a crack. 10... 10.06. Something, yeah. Something like that, I'd like to say. Um, and then I crossed the finish line and I managed to get a, a good enough time and then I went straight to, I believe it was our chaplain, who was just standing sort of stage left. And I said, you need to take me back to the club. He's like, why? I said, I just need to go back I to the to. club. I need to. It's a private matter. So we jumped in his car and as soon as we jumped in his car, it was obvious what had happened. Um, and then went straight back to the club and jumped in the shower and pretty sure I threw that <laughs> set of clothes in the bin and then got some fresh ones off the property steward. And um, yeah, copped it for a few weeks. But... I like the honesty in the story because that whole B plot of you desperately needing the toilet, that didn't make the age. No. No, that whole B plot was left out, I think, to the story's detriment, to be honest. Yes, 100%. So when that sort of filtered in, um, Chris Newman, who I mentioned before, managed to bring it to everyone's attention here at at Boxhill and Hawthorne and then, you know, Zane's obviously heard about it and and quite a few others know. I get the Um, feeling Newey might have actually shook Zane's hand, introduced himself and said, by the way, and then just told the story. So a friend, Albie, shout out to Albie, we've coined it the ultimate pain barrier that I pushed pushed through the ultimate pain barrier. 
That's so, I think that's quite a, happy with that. It says Jurassic Park. You got to go. You got to go. It's how it goes. Number two regarding time trials. I got two ones I got to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Last year. Fergus Green may or may not be listening. He was at one point an avid member, fan of the pod. Yep. Potential co-host had he not been AFL listed. And he would be a very good co-host. 100%. Can you set the record straight? We're doing a time trial last year at Waverley Park. Fergus mm-hmm. Green ends up winning this time trial. Yep. You spent the whole thing basically on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Could you have had him if you wanted him? Um, well, if you go back to the footage that you shot mm-hmm. – um, from several angles, including a drone. Yes. I ran on his outside shoulder the whole way, meaning that I've actually covered a bit extra ground than him um, and was able to sort of encourage him uh, across the finish line, which I know annoyed him at the he, time and he, probably still annoys he him. He has told the story that, he is, he, you know, Ferg's a good runner and he's running well and he's setting a good time and he's, he's out the front and, and he did think – he remarked later, he goes, it was only about half or two-thirds the way around that – I realised this is pretty heavy going. Jeez, we're starting to get gas. The lactic's building. This is, whew. and this bloke next to me is the yammering in my ear. He goes, "This isn't good." Yeah. He goes, "Because this means he's got breath to waste." I had a bit left in the tank. Yeah. So you, you, you if you wanted him, um, you would have just breezed by him. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I had another gear to go. I was definitely consciously trying to make a statement yes. without. Making the statement. Without making the statement. Yes. You made the statement. Don't worry about yep. that. Everyone who was watching was going, yeah, okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> the, the bloke that's our forwards coach is winning the time trial, <laughs> basically. Uh, and then the second one was this year. This was one of my favourites. We did four 1Kers just prior to Christmas, last session before Christmas here at Box Hill City Oval. You were participating in these four 1Kers and mm. a few of the boys, I think, were happy that they had your number is it fair to say that you had a little bit more information than they did? Yeah. So the original plan was three 1Ks. Yes. But um, I found out during the week with, the, you know, chatting with the coaches and the strength Inside and Insider information. Yes, basically. Information that did not go through to the players was they were going to be told we were doing three and then there was going to be a surprise fourth. Mm. Um, and in that one, we, we had a, a very strong runner with us, training with us over the summer, and I absolutely could not go with him. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. So he, I think he showed a clean pair of heels in, in the first three, um, and I sort of came second, third, fourth around that with a few of others, um, but I, I was really putting in. Um, 1K is maybe not my distance. I'd like slightly more. Yep. You know, the two to three is probably where my just, sweet spot. You just wear them down. Um, but... The boys emptied out on the third, thinking it was the last, and I just maybe held back a touch and then, um, you know, was able to give them my full... Did you did you win the final one? I did. Yeah. 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 Which is, look, to be honest, having, you know, trained and done a lot of tri- time trials and things over my football career, there's nothing worse than the bloke who wins the last one. Yeah. You know, like, what have they been doing for the first however many efforts? Yes. Um. But I think the fact that I was the only one that knew they were literally gone. They they were they were dead and unfortunately those boys didn't know what was coming and their times blew out, but that was sort of what they wanted. They wanted them to empty and then have to go again. But um were because you, I knew <laughs> internally were you doing the um the Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber laughing hysterically after he's put the Turbo Lax in Harry's coffee? <laughs> he's writing back to you. Internally, are you doing that last lap just laughing? 
Um, well, my plan on the last one was just to go out hard yes. and then I didn't quite realise the gap that, I, that I'd put on them. Um, but I didn't intend to think, oh, I'm going to hold myself to the last one here. I was having a, a real go in the other ones, but I think just sort of somehow just worked out well for me. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose in, in closing on that is obviously running a very big part of your game as a footballer. Mm-hmm. Is that still something that you actually enjoy doing? Yeah, I do. I love it. Um, I meet a, a group of friends and I, we meet a few mornings a week at an athletics track just in Collingwood and then I, I run a few other times a week and sometimes with the dogs through Yarraband Park or sometimes just with, with some other friends. But, no, I, I do love it. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it, I find it very therapeutic. It doesn't matter if it's 5K or 10 mm. or more. Um, I, I love it. Lovely. Uh, well, that's the end of the formal part of the interview. So we're now up to the final segment, which is mm-hmm. quick hands. Okay. Are you familiar with how this works? Um, I am. Yes. Can you just give me a quick yeah, reminder? That's a no. So basically <laughs> I'm going to press this um, – button here which will sound a, a football siren which does go for too long I've been meaning to edit it and then the clock just ticks and we'll just I'll just ask you some rapid fire questions sure it's too long would you be able to aerobically handle a game of VFL football were you to play this week aerobically yes <laughs> what's your favourite ground to play on Dunshay what Dunshay, that's old Kerry's home ground. Love it. Uh, Favourite footy cliche? One week at a time. Great podcast. Uh, Any pre-match routines, whether it be as a player or a coach? Um, No. Best thing about playing footy? Connection. The worst? Injuries. Most people say running. Um, Ben Kavara or John Kavara? Ben. (laughs) Uh, Go-to TV show? Oh, jeez. Um... At the moment, um, shrinking. You've got to watch Barry. Last film that you saw at a cinema? Last film at a cinema. Uh, Top Gun. Beautiful, brilliant movie. It's a long time ago. Uh, funniest teammate you played with? Funniest teammate I played with would be... Oh, jeez. The siren's already gone, so I might have a little bit more time to think about you, you that. You do have a little bit more time. Okay, funniest teammate I played with would be a bloke called Chris Laidlaw. Okay. Lades, I assume. So Lades or Ticket or the Big Ship, he had that many different nicknames for himself. And that's, look, that's not enjoyable for anyone. So I would say um, the funniest teammate I played for teammates that people may remember um, is probably Kel Moore. Kelvin yeah. Moore, I just, his humour. You're hanging out for a phone call from him I, well. I really am. So Straubs, <laughs> reach out. Uh, Favourite game you played in? Um, oh, the, the premiership I won with Kerry. Yep. And then lastly, who should we interview in a future episode? Are you where where are you looking? Are you looking at player? I, I'm you, I'm prepared to go anywhere. Prepared Not to go anywhere. Literally. Um I want to stay in the club rooms, mm-hmm. but um look I assume Zane is on, on the short list. Um he's got uh, lots of great stories and his sort of background and how he got into coaching is pretty you know, incredible. The thing with Zane, and I and I say this um candidly is mm. that so well, we've obviously been at the footy club now for 18 months maybe more mm. so we sort of get a much better read with Zane it's like fantastic love what he's doing and really look forward to having this chat but it's like I actually kind of want to observe yep. and, and look and sort of learn more about him and and then that way sort of makes it a bit easier to put together something like this just the more you know mm. so we'll definitely get to him whether yep. it's in four weeks six weeks We'll, we'll wait and see. 
Yeah. There's probably two names that come to mind. Yes. Um, Cal Brown would be one. Yes. He'd obviously, you know, growing up with a dad who was unbelievable um, in the AFL circle. And then the other one is Jalen Thorpe. Thorpey. Thorpey. What do you reckon the chances of us getting Thorpey to have a sit-down chat are? Um, low. I, he piped up in a meeting tonight. He and, did. And sort of gave an answer. And I, I did a double take at him and he sort of looked at me and, you know, smiled and nodded. And, um, you know, I've known Thorpey for you know, 18 months now and I think that's the first time I've heard him say something in a meeting. So He is uh, – I used the word enigma before mm. in the best possible way. Um, he's, he's starting to loosen up with photos, which is good. Giving you a bit of content? Yeah, like, I don't know, like, he's, he, we, got, we got a nice one at the airport and we get some nice ones in the park. He's always really funny. If you take one, he goes, show me it. And then, oh, he, like, he's, he but not in the, look. He, goes, he looks, he goes, yeah, that's good. So he has to green light it it's before not, oh, It's not even so socials. much green lighting, because I don't think he's really a social media guy. Mm. So he's not seeing it, like, on Instagram. So I think it's he, he'll see it there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. So I know we're probably running out of time. We are. Who, who else has to look? When you take a photo of them, who goes, oh, Shruck. look at that one, Shruck. Yeah. Shruck's a big fan. I usually show Shruck. Uh, yep. Snake. Yep. Jake Arundel likes to have a look at the shots. That makes sense. Kai Windsor, I said I got a shot of him the other week and he, and he goes, yeah, he goes, I like that one. But he didn't ask to see it at the time. Not many – if. Not many of the boys in the moment, particularly when they're training or something, mm. it's usually there's that delay of they're doing a drill and, and yep. there is that. It's not really an issue. If you get a good one, like if I see one and I get what I think is a nice one of them, I'll go, oh, this see, I got this one. Mm. Um, it's probably, yeah, I'd say Shruck is probably the number one. He is probably one of your number one most photoed as well. So there's a lot of content of Shruck. I went double Shruck on the Instagram feed. If anyone sees that, I accidentally had a photo. We did a thing of him tonight, which was a bit of bit of a laugh because Ports was away, mm-hmm. and Shrucky stepped in as the interim CEO. <laughs> so we did a post about that, but I didn't realise I'd used him as the cover for our gym video. I don't, that makes sense. I don't. Too, well, that makes perfect sense. But I didn't. If I'd had my time again, mm. I wouldn't have gone double Shruck. But he said it best. He goes, "Well, you want the likes." I did overhear a conversation you had with Kristen Height today that he was disappointed that he did not make the gym post he was very 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 keen to and for anyone who makes these videos you'll know that the 9 16 aspect ratio where you turn the camera on its side and it's tall Mm. is actually the most disgusting aspect to shoot anything in because it's so limiting it's so narrow the reason you go wide on the side is because there's more information Heidi did manage to squeeze himself into a lot of the shots Mm. And he knew what he was doing. He knew he was. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he was not happy. He watched the whole minute thirty six video. To he wasn't in it, and made a point of bringing it up. And I did apologise because the clip of him sneaking in on Snake and doing a bigger weight, mm. um, unfortunately, was just a little bit too long for the music edits. Okay. So sadly, had to be cut. Yep, he was not. He was not best pleased. No, extremely disappointed, that's for sure. I offered him the opportunity to come on the podcast and he said no one wants to hear that, as if people wanted to see him in the gym instead. True. Um, which was interesting. We might, we might get to Heidi. I like to think Heidi's got a story to tell. He's got plenty of stories to tell. Yeah, um, A he, former ex-teammate of mine. We've, former we've ex-teammate. He's in the Box Hill Hawks all-star team. He certainly is. Somewhere. He's on the wall. He's, he's top there. right there. there. There he is, Heidi, the Wombat. <laughs> no, that, that brings us to the end house. Absolute thrill having a chat to you. Thanks so much for the time and obviously on sh- such short notice as well. 
I uh, hope people enjoyed listening. Um, do leave us a rating and a review if you've listened in. Um, we mentioned budget off the top, fantastic supporters of the club and of the show. Um, check out the show notes for their discount code there. Um, it's always good to be able to pay that sort of stuff forward and Matt and Paul at Budget are excellent at doing that. Uh, thanks, House. It was great. Thanks, Shawnee. Did you have a good time? I did. That was great. <laughs> excellent. We'll do it again sometime. We're a happy team at Arsenal. Strong.